Four weeks ago, we began this series, The Characters of Christmas. And as we began this um, sermon series, on Sundays we looked at Zacharias and Elizabeth. And we started out with the birth of John the Baptist. And then we looked at Mary and Joseph and how they were obedient to what God called them to be. We then looked at the shepherds and how God, with everything He was doing, bringing the incarnate Christ into the world, He went to the shepherds first to tell them. And then, of course, last week we talked about the angels. Now on Wednesday nights, for those of you who hadn't joined us on Wednesday nights, as we continue this series, the first Wednesday we looked at King Herod. And most people won't think of King Herod in the Christmas story, but he really showed the difference between good and evil inside the Christmas story. And we dug into that. We talked about the innkeeper and how there's not a lot in the Bible about the innkeeper. And actually the innkeeper is not actually mentioned. It just says there's no room in the inn. And we dug into that and we looked at how a lot of times in our own lives that we don't have room for Jesus. And that we don't have room for him in our own lives. And then last Wednesday night, we talked about the wise men. And you know, it would only be fitting as we talk about the characters of Christmas if we didn't talk about the main character. Because each one of them pointed towards Jesus. So tonight, we're actually going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at the Christ. And we're going to look at everything He's done through us through His Word. And also the things that He will do for us in our lives going forward. So the scripture tonight is going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and pull out to either one of them. I will tell you the words are going to be up on the screen. Um, so it's basically three verses. So it will be here on the screen. It will be nice and easy. And if you're watching online, first, you know, all those watching online, hey, let's give it up for those who are watching online tonight. Let's give it up. Thank you for joining us. Um, even though you're not able to be here with us in person, we thank you for joining us online. We thank you that you're going to take this time out of your evening to, even though you can't be here, to be with us. And whether you're watching live or watching this on a tape later, we thank you for it. And as a reminder, if you are watching online, I hope this isn't a replacement for you being involved in a church. You know, it's a great thing to be able to watch online, and, and we appreciate you watching us, but I encourage you always be connected to a local church someplace. So with that being said, we'll start out in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she, br and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Heavenly Father, as we come to you this evening, Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts so we may see and receive what it is you want us to receive. And Lord, may my words glorify your name, and may they be your words and not mine. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. So I think as we look at Jesus, I think there's actually three milestones that mark the life of Christ. There's three milestones in his life. And the first one, of course, is his incarnation. The incarnation, him coming to us as a child. God coming in human form as a child, which is why we celebrate Christmas. The next thing I think we see that, that is big in his life is his sacrifice. You see, Jesus sacrificed his own life for us that while we were sinners, he still died for us. And we look at that on Good Friday as Jesus went to the cross on Calvary for us. And I think the third milestone in his life is his resurrection. Without his resurrection, there'd be no reason to celebrate Good Friday and there'd really be no reason to celebrate Christmas. So I think these are really the three milestones that we see inside of his life. And it's, so what I did is I named this sermon, The Cradle, The Cross, and The Crown. Which is actually interesting because I just had to read a 900 plus page book for school as I'm working on my master's, um, titled the same thing. Of course, it wasn't the same message. <laughs> but now, as, as we begin tonight, I really want to start with The Cradle. You know, I think the cradle speaks of his humble birth. I think the cradle brings us back to that humble birth of Jesus Christ. And as we take that journey to Bethlehem, I want you to imagine Mary for a moment. Imagine maybe it was you as a, a young mother, or maybe one of your children. And here she is, she's pregnant, nine months pregnant, probably very big, probably sore, probably aching, probably, you know, swelling, not feeling the best. And she had to take a 70-mile journey. She had to go 70 miles on a donkey's back. And it was 70 miles up hills, down ravines, into valleys all over the place, between getting cold up on top of the mountains to maybe warm down inside the valleys. She was going through areas where there were wild animals, where there were known to be um, people out there to rob or bandits that were out there. And all of this going on, and she was nothing but a teenager. You know, and then you see Mary's birthing pains begin to get more, and she's about to give birth. And here you see Joseph knocking on doors. And all he's seeing is no vacancy signs. There's no room for Jesus in the inn. There's no room for him whatsoever. And you think about it, uh, I know me, I would have been thinking, you know, as Joseph would have thought, could I have been mistaken? Didn't the angel tell me that this baby was going to be the son of God? Really? All of this is going on in my life? Where is God now? Where I got a, my wife's about to have birth, the son of God. And there's no room in the inn. There's no room for me. And you think about it, there was no birthing room. There was no comfortable bed to lie in. 
There's no incubator. There's no qualified doctors or nurses or anything around. No hospital staff. All they had was a cold manger with some hay. What a disappointment. What a desperate situation that must have been. I can't imagine myself being in that situation. And then you think about this. When was the last time you ever heard of a donkey being born in a palace or in a king's bedroom? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because where are donkeys born? Donkeys are born inside stables. But instead we see Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, born in a lowly stable. He was born in a stable. And people may ask why, and of course my biggest answer to that is always because he wanted everyone to feel that they could be welcomed to come and see Jesus. You see, I don't think someone who is poor and doesn't have a lot of money or someone who is outcast from society would feel good walking inside a palace. But all of us probably feel a little more comfortable walking into a barn. And I really believe that is why God chose for Jesus to come into the world this way. It was a humble birth. And even though this was a humble birth, something we need to think about who Jesus really is. Who was this baby that was born? Well, Jesus was the architect of the universe. You think about it, he fashioned the sun. He fashioned the sun to warm the day. He fashioned a ball at night that's 2,160 miles in diameter to govern the night sky to give us light during the evening. He made the stars. 100 million stars in the Milky Way. Hundreds of millions more and 100 million more different galaxies. Jesus did that and he was born in a stable. He lowered himself to be born in a stable, but he created all of this. And not only that, he spoke six sextillion, 588 quintillion short tons of elements into existence and made the earth. Want to talk about a big bang theory? There it is. Jesus created it, but yet he came to the earth as a baby. And then he set it, his foot on it and he laid its cornerstone. And while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted in joy, he did all of this. And that's not all. You think about it, about 132 million square miles of oceans he put behind doors so that they'd stay in place. He went to where the hail is made and where the snow comes from, where lightning is dispensed. And he set the east winds into motion throughout the earth. Then one day the Almighty God compressed himself into a small cell and implanted himself into the womb of a teenage girl. And as that cell continued to split up, ultimately what happened was that holy fetus grew and Christ was born. The holy child comes into the world and we get thousands upon thousands of joyful angels singing of his birth. And they called his name Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
You see, and I really think that's where the cradle speaks of his humble beginnings, of his humble birth. Everything he created, he created the world, the universe, and everything in it, but still came out as a child. And then I think as the cross, we look to the cross, I think the cross represents and speaks of his victorious death. The method of victory over our sins came through his death. Jesus, I believe, was born in the shadow of the cross. That shadow of the cross was upon him at his birth. I believe it was upon him as he learned to walk, as he learned to talk, as he learned to work. I believe the shadow of that cross was always on him. I believe that shadow of the cross was over that manger in Bethlehem. I believe it was over the carpenter's shop as he was growing up. I believe it was over the upper room and in the garden of Gethsemane, the shadow of that cross. And understand, the cross is one of the cruelest instruments of death known to man. It symbolized man's depravity and the inhumanity towards all of, all of everyone's fellow man. The cross was not a nice place. And I believe suspended between heaven and earth that day, the victim on the cross waited helplessly for death. And you know, there's only one way down from that cross. And that was at the hands of the grave diggers. When the nails were driven into the hands of Jesus, it, I think it went through them icy hands of the death that, that had clutched onto him. And as his life slowly and excruciatingly drained from him, that cross hung over him. And you know, the horror associated with the cross, I don't think we can really comprehend the ripping of the skin, the bursting of arteries, or even the severing of nerves. I don't think we can ever comprehend what Jesus went through on that cross for us. Yet Jesus, God's Son, was born under the shadow of the cross. I think it loomed over everything that He'd ever done. All of His challenges in His life, I think, were nothing compared to the shadow of that cross knowing what was going to be coming. And unfortunately, I think it was my sins that hung Jesus Christ on that cross. I think it was our sins that put them nails through His hands and through His feet. He paid a debt He didn't know. I owed that debt. I owed that debt, and He paid it for me. He paid that debt for each and every one of us. And He needed to do it in order to wash away our sins. You know, I really doubt we'll ever fully understand the awfulness of Christ's crucifixion. But I hope that God will help us to see it a little clearer. You know, Jesus defeated Satan on that cross. When Jesus was dying, His final words were, It, was, it is finished. Now the Greek word used for it is finished is actually the stamp that they used to put on debt notices that said it was paid in full. So the same words that Jesus said on that cross, it is finished, finished His work of redemption for us. And I actually like the way the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 2.15. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, when Jesus said it was finished, 
it also meant it was finished for Satan. Satan was done. The cross defeated the powers of Satan. You know, I read an article in Moody Monthly, and it talks about this guy named Carl. He was at a uh, he was at a zoo, and he was watching this big lion inside a cage. And all of a sudden, he looked and he saw the door open to the side, and a guy comes out walking into the cage and quietly shut the door behind him. And all he had was a broom. And he starts sweeping up the cage, and he gets over to where that big lion was, and he kind of pokes it with the broom. And the lion, you know, gets up and it starts letting out a cry, and it, it gets up and it hisses at him and growls at him, and eventually walked over and went to another corner and laid down. And Carl looked to the guy and he says, you know, you, you got to be mighty brave. The guy says, I'm not brave at all. He says, well, if you're not brave, that lion's got to be tame. The guy says, that lion's not tame. It's as wild as you can get. And Carl says, well, you know, if, if you're not brave and that lion's not tame, how did you not get attacked? And the guy simply said, mister, he's old. And he ain't got no teeth. <laughs> you see, and I think that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus redeemed us, and he disarmed the principalities and the powers of this dark world. They have no bite when it comes to us. They can hiss and they can growl, but they can't do anything to us. Because Jesus has already paid that price, and hallelujah for that. And I think that's what we see as the cross speaks to that victorious death that Jesus had. And the crown, the crown speaks of his triumphant reign. You know, people wonder, what's Jesus doing now? It's been 2,000 years. When's he coming back? He's been saying, I'll be right back. Where is he at? I will tell you, the Bible tells us that he is no longer that child in Bethlehem. He's not in the manger anymore. He's not in the carpenter shop. He's not out healing the sick. He's not out preaching the gospel to people. He's not out preaching to the poor. And he's not on the cross. Even though there's a whole lot of pictures depicting him still hanging on that cross, he is not on that cross. And most importantly, he is not in the tomb. Although I'm sure there's some atheists and others who wish he still was. Our Jesus is risen. He's risen from the dead and He's alive forevermore. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father and He reigns supreme over the universe. But it's not the end of the story. The Apostle Paul and uh, the Apostle John saw Jesus coming and set up His kingdom on earth. And as it says in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, it says... And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of the heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads in the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen to that. You see, Jesus went from wearing a crown of thorns to wearing a crown of glory. And praise God for that. We know Jesus will come back and reign for a thousand years. And in Revelation chapter 20, the end of verse 4 and the verse 6, basically says that the martyrs came to life. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. You see, during the millennial king, Jesus will rule and reign with the rod of iron. He'll no longer be that humble carpenter. He's no longer going to be that baby in the manger. He's going to be the majestic king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow. And every mouth will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's still not all. It's still not all. The author of life, as it says of Jesus in Acts 3.15, who has the power of indestructible life, as written in Hebrews, will swallow up death forever, as written in Isaiah. He will create new heaven and He will create new earth without sin, and the old is going to be destroyed. Death will be swallowed up for life. You know, there, there's a Christmas play that I remember seeing a long time ago. And one of the questions that the Christmas play asks is, what did Joseph do the day after Jesus was born? And you know, it's an interesting question because we don't see a lot in the Bible on, about Joseph. We don't know a lot about him beyond the birth. And of course, you know, I'm sure that he probably helped Mary and he probably helped take care of baby Jesus. I'm sure he did everything he could to make them comfortable or as comfortable as he could. The play then goes on. It shows this image of since Joseph was a carpenter that he began to make a crib for Jesus. And as he did so, you know, deeply he was thinking about the Messiah, thinking about everything that Christ would become, and thinking about how they denied him a room in the inn. And in the play, Joseph ends up saying something like, if they treated him like this when he was just a baby, how would they treat him when they find out he is the Son of God? And about that time in the play, the lights normally would go down dark, and all you would hear is a hammer hitting wood. What would they think of him when they found out he was the Son of God? Well, you know, we know what they are going to think of him when they find out he's the Son of God. They're going to nail him to a cross. They're going to nail him to a cross, and that is why God sent him. God sent him knowing he would be nailed to that cross for us. To give up his life for us to wash away our sins. You know, I don't know about you guys. I know that a lot of different times through my life, I haven't treated Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I haven't had him as the Lord of my life forever. And even times after I accepted Jesus Christ, I didn't do what I should have done to praise and glorify him because of what he's done for me. 
And I think sometimes as Christians we get caught up in, I'm a Christian and I'm following these rules. But we're not doing what Jesus calls us to do. We're not living the life that he has called us to live. And understand that through all of this, he has not done nothing but loved us. He has done nothing but give his life for us. And maybe some, some of you here just don't understand. You've never given your life to Christ. You don't understand the whole, what is this? As we celebrate Christmas and we look at the cradle, the cross, and the crown, hopefully it will renew your passion for Jesus Christ. Hopefully it will make you look back at the point of, you know, I know this is Christmas, but without Easter, this doesn't matter. And that hopefully you'll, you'll make that decision that I need to do what Christ calls me to do. I need to be the person that God called me to be. As we come to the end of 2020, 2020 has been a crazy year. Wow, that was a whole lot of 2020s, wasn't it? It's been a crazy year, and, and maybe you just need to, you know, you've been asking, where's God in all of this? Where is God through 2020? Where is God through me losing my job? Where is God through all of this pandemic? Where is God? Where is God? Well, he hasn't moved. We're the ones who generally move, and we generally move away from him. So I encourage you this Christmas season, take that time and rededicate your life to who Jesus is.